0: Welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Simon. I'm Stuart. We're both property people running our own businesses and this podcast is just us chatting every week about the reality of anything and everything property. This week I'm going to start just very briefly with a very quick shout out to my my eight-year-old son who has recently decided to start listening to the Business of Property, which I think is great. He's gone all the way back to the first episode, which is perhaps not so great because those ones are slightly scary to listen back to. But just in case he makes it all the way through to this episode, I just thought I'd give a a quick shout out to Thomas. So hello and thank you for for listening. And thanks for bumping up our numbers, Thomas. (laughs) Indeed. Can't can't do any harm. (laughs) But more importantly today, Stuart would like to start us off with something else.
1: Yes, Today, I'd like to start with a a very sad story. It's a sad story from a man we shall call Ben. Now, Ben is 60, and following the government reforms around scrapping Section 21, which are the no-fault evictions, and removing fixed-term tenancies, poor Ben has decided to sell his... 30 by to a portfolio he had built to fund his retirement now according to poor Ben this is the final nail in the coffin and the government has totally derailed his pension plans and I'll quote Ben here but he has no idea what he will do to look after his family or where he will go for security now and Rather than read all of Ben's letter, I can only finish with his own words, which says that after the fixed term plans and looking after his students, if they left in the middle of an academic year, he says, How would I look after myself? I could go bust. Now, thank you for indulging us in this uh, opportunity to. Reminisce about these letters of our song for those that remember that, but I have to say, and this is an article that came from the front of the Telegraph on on Saturday the twenty fifth of June. Now I pulled this out to to talk with Simon, and I've I've seen it's also gained traction on the forums as well because the headline is War on Landlords Leaves Pension Plans in Tatters, and goes on to talk about a few things there, but. I think my ire was just increased by the fact that us landlords don't get a good press, do we, Simon? And claiming poverty when you own 30 buy-to-let flats, regardless of numbers, and you and I, we're going to go on to this, but it doesn't do us a lot of favours, does it?
0: No. In a word, I I don't get it. I just don't. (laughs) I have run out of words. And you're right. Landlords don't seem to get a good press. And I think that's mostly unfair. But then when you get people writing articles like this and trying to to stir up concerns, I guess, around a landlord who has 30 properties and, oh my goodness, is going to have to sell them. I mean, most people have one property. If they're lucky. And... (laughs) <laughs> yes, quite. I was just going to say, and an awful lot of people don't even have that. So yeah, it's it's not going to really create um, sympathies. I wouldn't have thought for for the landlord population.
1: It's a real it's a real shame for me because one thing that hasn't been getting a lot of traction in the media is the the challenges that all of the government reforms have brought in. Because everyone only sees it from the perspective of tenant stroke potential tenants and the evil landlords. Occupying most of the territories, and, and to some extent, uh, you know, you and I might agree. However, you know, we, we do need to accept that there are certain things that have been brought in that that makes the market quite challenging in the private rental sector, which is, which does need stock, which does need housing stock, and things like Section Twenty Four, you know, the, the mortgage rate relief and the fixed tenancies, they are quite challenging for you know for for a professional. Hopefully a professional industry makes operating very hard. But I'm sure we could speak to other people in other sectors that would say the same things. So I think it it's one of the it's one of those situations where I think actually there was an opportunity if they, if the telegraph was going to talk about it to actually bring it to the table and say, look, these are the challenges we're facing as landlords, investors, and this is how it impacts the business and therefore the stock available. And then maybe have that debate around, well, okay, is that a good thing to bring this stock back onto the market? Mu- you know, there's lots of other ways you could have gone at it, as opposed to I'm someone that has a huge portfolio and I don't know how I'm now going to look after my family.
0: Yeah, I think what you're saying is they could have taken a useful approach rather than a, a, a I'm not quite sure, a scaremongering? I'm not, not sure if that is really, a, a I don't know, some other strange approach. I don't really see what they're trying to achieve with, with what they're saying are they complaining about the the government changes and differences that are being introduced from a, a a landlord point of view and saying this is this is terrible and we we must stop these reforms or are they saying that these reforms are coming in and hence all the landlords are leaving and therefore there's no rental stock and it's terrible for the tenants uh, i don't don't understand the point really but you yeah, agree they haven't been useful no
1: it's it's not been useful and the reason I got to see this headline, well, I, I saw it online anyway, but that because I had the in-laws visiting and my father-in-law is a staunch Daily Telegraph buyer, you, you know, he, he has the coupons. And I think about the demographic and the audience of the Telegraph and I and I, I imagine, you know, it's, it's targeted at their audience. And it's really about the fact that this is impacting, well, the headline's talking about the, the pensions in Tatters and goes on to talk about not just poor Ben, but also another couple that have invested in property, like many of us, for their own pension that's why that was one of the key reasons I wanted to do. It was a future pension because I had none, and I too was in my forties when I started it. So I think it's really trying to drive at aren't we a poor lot that the government has taken umbrage and is now forcing us out onto the streets with our pensions that's It's kind of like where it goes but As always, because we're the business of property and we think about property as a business and we like numbers, we like digging down a little bit, we've decided to start looking at poor Ben's situation and just do a few calculations. Now, the the preamble to this is, of course, uh, sadly, uh, and this was another thing that makes me, I'm going to try not to keep getting back on the soapbox, but poor Ben, the only thing we know about poor Ben is that he owns 30 properties and he has student tenants. Where those properties are, how many of them are tenants, how many rooms he has, none of this information was divulged. Uh, It left me questioning whether poor Ben actually exists, and I'm I'm sure he does. Feel free to contact us, Ben, should you wish to flesh out this, because we'd love to look into it a little bit more. So all that left Simon and myself to do was really just base some Calculations on kind of averages and what and what we thought about it. So for context, so let's remember Ben has thirty properties. That's that's the starting point of what we've got. We don't we don't know if they're mortgaged, if there is a mortgage, etc. So these are all assumptions from Simon and myself, and we'd love to hear your take on what we're talking about. So reach out to us at bizbiz of property on Twitter or contact us via thebusinessofproperty.com just to just to give us your views. But what we've done is we've, rather than take the national average, which is around 260, 270, we thought that would be a bit unfair on Ben. And we've just given it an average property price of 100,000 and also just made our maths a little bit easier. So that gave a total portfolio value of 3 million. So 100,000 pounds per property for 30 properties. And then we thought, We'd put a mortgage on it because that seems a reasonable thing to do. Although given Ben's age, you'd like to think that there was a lower LTV, but again we have no we have no knowledge of how long these properties have been owned. So a loan to value of seventy five per cent and that leaves an equity of seven hundred and fifty thousand. So that's a good start. So so Ben's got
0: equity, three quarters of a million. Indeed, I think straight away you can see that that this is we're already into big numbers. And I mean, a, a pension pot of 750,000 is certainly not a small pension pot. You could quite happily invest that in, in an annuity that paid out a reasonable amount of money every year and then obviously on top of state pension etc, you, you'd you be doing okay. I don't know what sort of standard of life Ben is used to but, but I would have thought with that as a, a pension pot you, you wouldn't be living too badly Uh, and that's before we consider anything else or whatever else could be done with with these properties just if you took the raw value it, it seems okay to me it's not a bad
1: starting point isn't it i think we'd all most of us take three quarters of a million pounds as a starting point i wouldn't be crying into my cornflakes just yet
0: no indeed
1: Okay, so we've got 750 grams worth of equity. What we then had a look at was average rents. Something Simon and I discussed sort of at length was the fact that these are, he mentioned students, but we don't know how many, which leads us to assume that there would be HMO properties. But what we've done, rather than take the national, rather than look at multi-room rates, and we, we've just taken what the, the UK average is. And the UK average uh, from the data we've got was £969. And, once again, we we're just taking averages for a bit of fun, just to just to calculate where where this gets us to. But it's worth noting that we've we've taken an average of £969, which is which is kind of median, but when we look at the southwest, south east and London, those rents are twelve hundred, fifteen hundred, and two thousand two hundred respectively. So we've kind of pushed those to one side and really looked at you know northeast and midlands and and that's where £969 pounds a month feels fair so based on £969 pounds a month times 30 properties that gets us I mean even simple math tells you that's just under £30,000 £29,070 to be precise and if we annualise that that takes us to an annual revenue gross income of just under £350,000 gross income against the seven hundred and fifty. Now that's a big number and what I what we would say in instant fairness to Ben is that this, this attracts obviously a higher tax rate uh, attracts a tax rate of 45% so that big number immediately gets shrunk down to 191,000 okay so that's post-tax but I don't know about Anyone else? But 190k, still feeling, still feeling good. Would you be happy with that, Simon? In a word, yes. <laughs> I think that would
0: be, I think that'd be quite, quite livable. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, and and that gives us a monthly income of fifteen. Well, actually, just under sixteen thousand. Let's round it up. So that gives us a net monthly
0: income of sixteen thousand pounds. Now, I know you've you've done it this way round because of Section 24 and the, the lack of mortgage interest relief. But this sixteen thousand a month isn't the end of the the story because we're assuming there are mortgages on these properties, so we have to take out some expenses as well, don't we? How, how does that that work? We we had some some slight disagreement on some of these calculations as well. So do you, do you want to do you want to run yeah, through?
1: Yeah, I see it less as a disagreement and just uh, just a, a different focus on numbers, but. Because Simon loves correctness, and uh, and so do I, by the way. But uh, for the sake of this, we 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 agreed not to fight over a three percent interest rate. We we met in the middle at three percent. We felt that's fair because because again, we don't know there could be a portfolio mortgage which could be anywhere from you know two to four percent. You know, if you were getting individual mortgages, etc., etc. And 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 the other thing that the other thought that I sort of came to was. You know, if, if these have been bought personally, and I, I guess we have to assume that they probably were, given the age of of, of Ben, and they're not in a limited companies. But, you know, there's a, there's a separate digression all on that, which is about the, the potential upside of transferring what he could into a limited company. However, for the sake of this argument, we've taken a 3% mortgage interest rate. And if you remember, we gave Ben the 75% loan to value which left him with a total mortgage value of 2,250,000 and 3% on the 2250 is 67,500 per annum leaving a monthly interest rate of 5,625 pounds so how does that all wash out well when we take the total annual revenue post tax of 190 a take off the interest rate per annum, it gives us 124,000 and leaves us with just over £10,000 net income per month. So, again, 10, 10K a month, 120K a year. We think that's still okay. As a return on the, um, well, actually, you know, it's, it still works out that 750,000. If we were based on that equity, we, we're getting a rate of about 16%, which is, which is pretty good. And the one other discussion that Simon and I did have on this, and to be completely fair, because obviously I, I have a number of HMOs, the utility costs, and I can hear some people screaming that, yeah, well, what about utilities? So in, in my head, at least, utilities, and again, this is highly volatile right now, but just as a, as a guide, I would take, be taking about 25% off for utilities. And if I did that and I'm keeping the numbers simple, it still leaves the income at about seven and a half K per month. I was just thinking about per annum figure and that comes to 90K. These are all kind of averages, just averaged out. And my personal view, and again, you know, Simon and I could debate it. You could debate it. And if you do, please do messages. But I think we've been pretty conservative for Ben. And again, my view would be we we could probably take that down to 60% as an equity figure to get closer to the truth and increase that monthly average and the numbers would be increasing. So we've gone from I don't know how I'm gonna look after my family to I've still got an income of ninety thousand that given the the time that you may have had it is pretty sustainable. So we we think that that Ben shouldn't give up just yet. I think should should maybe just think about the portfolio, think about alternatives in terms of how to reduce the impact of Section 24. But the final element of that that I found quite interesting, particularly in the Telegraph, was that the first paragraph talks about Section 21, which is removal of no fault evictions and fixed period tenancies. And And then the following paragraph talks about how this is challenging for everyone. Now, I found, just found it a very big jump to go from those two elements to, oh, my God, we all need to sell up because this isn't going to work anymore.
0: Yep, indeed. I, I'm going to throw out some, of the, some variations to these figures because I think it's, it's interesting to, to play with them a bit and see what, what happens. Now, one thing that I'm s- slightly concerned about, and we, we've missed lots of details, like perhaps agent costs and things like that, But one big thing that we've assumed is an average rent and a fairly low house price. And I I think we should be looking at a house price that's below sort of the average, because typically houses that are in student areas and that are student lets would probably be lower than than average. However, perhaps we've gone too far. So if perhaps we increased it from 100,000 per house to 150,000 per house, this actually has a fairly dramatic impact on the, the the rent at the end of the day. Well, I'm not going to recap all of the figures, but the the total at the end drops from 124,000 or so per annum of of actual money you get down to 90,000. And then, if you increase the value of each property, each house to 200,000 because you're increasing the mortgage you've got so much on it and therefore you're increasing the interest that you're paying and that has a knock-on impact on the tax as well because you can't claim tax relief on that mortgage interest, it means that you're looking suddenly at less than 60000 in terms of rental profits after everything shakes out of actual money. And now now these numbers aren't, aren't looking quite so great. I mean, 60000 is still £60,000. You, you're not poor on £60,000 a year. But it's, it's a reasonably smaller number than we started with, £124,000 or so. However, of course, because the property value has increased, we've also massively increased our equity. And now our equity is worth £1.5 million, And that certainly is a huge pension pot to be investing in in other other forms and this is where i think the article really has hasn't done a great
1: job because we've only got we've got such limited information on the situation i think if they delved into this situation it would have been a lot more interesting for all of us as investors and landlords to understand challenges and the obstacles but just to put a paragraph just two quotes i mean the truth is with 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 our you know, know, trying to be funny anymore is that we don't really know Ben's situation. And they may have just taken those two quotes from a lot of information that they might have been given, may or may not have been given, and used it to create this article. Whereas when you're talking about that, I immediately start thinking, yeah, okay, if you do increase the property values, that drops, the revenues drop markedly. And that makes a significant difference. But my, my immediate thought to that is, well, and if that did happen, well, yes, you've suddenly got that equity. But of course, how would I mitigate that if I've got a portfolio that's over a million? Oh, I don't have to sell all 30. I could sell one. I could sell two. I could review my portfolio and maybe look at it that way. Well, its it, I think it's the dramatization of it that gets my goat.
0: Yep, I, I agree. It's just... Excessive and silly, and as we sort of hinted at and mentioned a number of times during this, that I think the problem in the financial side of it is really around Section Twenty Four, and that's assuming these are owned in a personal name, of course, and and of course Ben will not have bought these all last week; they will have been built up over time. So we're almost certainly not looking at a loan to value of seventy five percent we're also almost certainly not looking at purchase prices all at 200,000 if we're using that figure because they would have been presumably purchased over the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years and 40 years ago, property prices were an awful lot lower. Now, of course, when you actually come to sell up and extract your equity, you've then got capital gains tax to to worry about as well, which we probably don't want to get into. In fact, we definitely don't want to get into. But the, the... even with that, we're still going to be looking at big numbers. And as you say, Stuart, if you wanted to get out of this market a bit, then yes, you'd you have the flexibility in such a large portfolio to do some and some. You can have some revenue still, and you can sell up and have some capital still. And this sort of raises lots of questions around what would you want your retirement to be if you're building a property portfolio? That is a business you have to run those properties and you can outsource an awful lot to agents and other staff perhaps you hire directly to to take on things for you but ultimately as the property owner and the landlord and the business owner you're going to be doing stuff to make sure that everything is on track making sure that everything is compliant and making sure that the people you employ are doing their jobs and i think in property that means that retirement is actually a tricky thing to keep your property portfolio and retire. And, and I mean, from a personal point of view, I have very simple buy to and I think that I probably will try and keep them forever and into retirement and maintain that involvement. I mean, apart from anything else, if you don't have something to do in retirement, you get bored. So, so I think having a low-level interest would, would be good in retirement. But... I do wonder what Ben had planned previously. Was Ben planning to carry on running the portfolio actively as a, as a business through their retirement? Or were they always planning to sell up or at least sell up part, some of them to help fund a more relaxed portfolio? Mm. And, and therefore perhaps this whole article is really a bit over egged because they were trying to retire anyway. And hence would be looking at these things and making these decisions anyway without the, the sort of concern around Section 21 and changes to, to tenancies, which in the student market I think is probably not something to be worried about anyway. But that, that's a, another discussion because we are running out of time. We are. So I think we will we'll leave it there. Please do get in touch. Let us know whether our numbers are right or wrong or seeing as they're based on complete fiction, just what numbers you would choose and how you think that would shake out. You can reach us on at BizOfProperty, that's at B I Z of Property on Twitter, or there's a contact form on the thebusinessofproperty.com, which is also where you'll find all of the show notes and past episodes. And Stuart and I will talk to you again next week.